We'll be continuing our sermon uh, uh, series that's through the book of Romans. Uh, We'll be picking up where Nick left off last week. So we'll be beginning in in chapter 8, verse 26. We'll go through 30. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or pull it up on your uh, devices, you can start going there right now. Hopefully what we will see as we study our, our text today is we will see the hope of the coming glory that was presented in, in last week's verses and that we'll see even more of that becoming more firmly established as we go through all the way through the end of this chapter over the next couple of weeks. Uh, that blessed hope of this glory that's, that's to come. We're also going to see that our salvation and our walk are secured by the Lord's work and power and his grip and not ours. We're helpless and hopeless in, in our own strength to do anything. And we should, this should become very, very clear through the text today. It should be an encouragement to all of us that our destiny, and I use that word purposely, our destiny is in his hands. He holds us there. It is his work that does it. It's firmly in God's hands. And it has been from eternity past until now. His purpose and that's the, the main purpose of, of, of our text today. His purpose is to glorify himself and to mold his chosen people into the image of Christ. Just like the potter can mold the clay into whatever vessel it is. That is what God is doing for his chosen people, molding us into the image of Christ. So the message for our, our the today, the passage today, is firm in the, in the hands of of a triune God. So we're right in the God's hands firmly. I think one of the other things that you'll see through this too is that the, that the roles of all three persons of the Trinity are on display just in the short passage that we have today as well. So be looking for that. So there's some big themes that are part of today's passage. So I want to dive right in to our text right now and then we'll uh, start to open it up a little bit more. So beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the beginning of our text today starts with the first word, likewise. So obviously it's, it's hearkening back to some of the other verses that we've just been studying through Romans right now. So it's, it's going back and looking and saying, look, in the same way that we've just talked about, so we need to look back at what that means. But likewise means in the same way or the same manner. And just like believers and all of creation, as we've been hearing and learning, believers and all of creation have been groaning deeply because of the corruption that happened after the fall. The Spirit now groans for us, and the key word here is, and intercedes. He intercedes for us, and last week's message clearly outlined the the creation's eager longing for the consummation of God's plan. 
And of course, we, we won't see the full glory until Christ returns. Currently, because we're so broken and weak, there are times when we don't even know how to pray. I don't know how many of you have been in one of those dark nights of the soul kind of situations, and maybe some of you even today, right now, here are in one of those situations, where in one of those dark nights of the soul, where you can't even, if you know what I'm talking about, if you've been there, you can't even know what I'm supposed to pray or even which way to turn when you've got a, a lot of different things coming at you and you don't even know how to pray, you don't know where to turn, what am I going to do next? This should be a great encouragement when you can't articulate the depths of your feelings and your trouble beyond uh, the point of knowing how to, how to pray. Uh, it should be very comforting because as we fix our mind on the Lord and lean on him, even our confusion at those difficult times, even our confusion does not preclude God's provision. God is provided because God does it all in his hands. Uh, the takeaway here is that we can rely on the Holy Spirit to pray for us and to help us as we lean on him. And when the third person of the Trinity uh, <laughs> Praise, the blessing there is that when the third person of the Trinity is praying for us, it's not just some shallow prayer of, God, get me out of this situation, which is sometimes a prayer that we, we utter when we're in a tough time. God, please remove this burden, remove whatever this is. No, when the Holy Spirit's praying for us, it's much deeper than that. It's beyond that. These are deeper wisdom that we can muster than on our own. And the reason is explained in, in the next verse. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The mind of the Father and the Spirit will obviously be in harmony with each other. Because when we're struggling, the indwelling Spirit knows our needs and appeals to the Father. I mean, I, that word intercedes comes up a lot of times in our, in our passage. But the Spirit knows our need and appeals to the, the, the Father on our behalf and intercedes for us just like our high priest, Jesus Christ. A good way to explain this is as Christ does the work for us, that finished work that he's accomplished on the cross, so also the Holy Spirit does this work in us. And in us, he's, he's the helper, just like Jesus talked about this Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? John 14, verses 16 through 7, Jesus is talking about this about him in, in John 14. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. This is the same Spirit that we learned about just a couple of weeks ago when we were in verses 16 through 17 of Romans. Uh, Romans 8.16 8, says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. So this is two of the distinct persons of the Trinity, uh, the triune God, doing all of the work. Doing all of the work. They agree because they're both God. This is a really key passage to understand. These are both God. And we're going to see some more about the Trinity here in just a moment. 
And I don't, but I just don't want us to miss out on the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is a whom and a him. It's not some power or force like many cults and religions would have you believe that a, a spirit is just, a, just uh, may the force be with you kind of thing from like new age beliefs or just an impersonal spirit. This is an actual person. There's personhood for all three persons in the Godhead. And when we understand and see the difference between that, that we're also told here is that when we're led by the Spirit, we're sons and daughters of God, as we learn from verse 16 and, and the beginning of the chapter as well. So all believers, all believers have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 reminds us that our believers' bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. So the Spirit doesn't just testify. He's in us helping and enabling us to pray and to walk in obedience. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what that, that third person of the Trinity is, is doing. And this is truly effective help that's not going to be thwarted by anything in the created realm. It's just not going to be stopped because it's God and God, everything God purposes to do, he does. And that's why we can rejoice and be encouraged because it's his will that these things will be accomplished. We, we've just seen that the Spirit communicates with the Father and the John passage that we just read makes it clear that Jesus communicates with the Father so it's clear that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are three distinct persons. And this is all mentioned in this passage, so I don't want to gloss over this without at least stopping to, to, for all of us to notice that there are three distinct persons in, in the Trinity. Some cults, like the, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, deny that Jesus is God. And some cults, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses in particular, also firmly deny not only that the Holy Spirit uh, is God, but that he's not a person. That's very different than what the Bible teaches and what we, what we believe here. Um, and there's other cults that also deny the personhood of the Spirit. And hopefully we see from the text that all three are distinct persons. The, the Trinity is admittedly a very deep and difficult path, concept to get your, your mind around because we've got an infinite holy God, and there's no other analogs to, to God. He's infinite. He's from beginning to end. There's nothing else that's a perfect analogy for, for, for God, for the Godhead. And it's challenging to wrap your head around, but it's vital that we understand what this does and doesn't mean. Since all three persons are shown in today's reading, again, I just don't want to pass it over. Key thing that as believers, we ought to at least understand and know as, at a basic level of what we're saying and, and not saying. We are not saying that there's one God and three gods. We're not saying that. That would be a logical contradiction to say there's one God, but he's three gods. That's not what we're saying. And there are, there's three, there's one God in three distinct persons that are co-eternal and co-existent. So they've always, they've always existed, they're co-eternal, and they're equal. And it's a very important distinction that the scripture preaches here. There are many ways that this can be misinterpreted, and it isn't one God who shifts into different modes. I've heard people try to describe the Trinity, and I know all analogies break down, but they try to describe the Trinity as, well, God sometimes, it's kind of like 
uh, ice, water, and steam. Sometimes he does this, and then he shifts into a different mode. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches three distinct persons that actually communicate with each other. So it's not like there's one God and he just shifts modes, and sometimes he's this, and sometimes he's that. There are three distinct persons, and we see the different roles, even in our passage today, that the different persons are, are doing. And as we understand that, these persons have different roles, and they are all God. And it's obviously, with an infinite eternal God, we're trying to understand and describe here, and all analogies are, are going to fall short of describing the indescribable God here. But I just want to make sure we're careful using some of the analogies in our descriptions as we're out there in our walk and we're witnessing to other people about who this God is that we serve. That's one God in three persons and what he is and what he isn't. For those that wrestle with this, I'm just going to offer just one, one simple analogy. I, I hope it helps. If not, it, again, it's just an analogy. It's not going to be complete. We don't have time for a full, a full study of, a, of, of the Trinity. That would be a number of classes that we can do, and maybe we'll do that in Sunday school here in the future. But just as a, as, as a short analogy that might help you to wrap your, your head around this, if you can picture, uh, if you're wrestling with this, if we had a can, a canister of helium right here on the stage, what is, what is the essence of the canister? It's helium. It's just one element. It's only one element. It's not mixed with anything else. It is pure helium, one thing, helium. We've got a canister of helium. And if we take three balloons and fill those three balloons, a red one and a blue one and a yellow one, whatever colors, filling those balloons, they are all going to be distinct. You've got a red one, you've got a blue one, you've got a yellow one. They're distinct balloons with one element. Just like God, one essence, three persons. Maybe that gives you a little bit better understanding, but, but they're distinct. They're not in the same place. You can move one balloon one place. What is the essence of each balloon? Each balloon is still a helium balloon. Each person of the Trinity is still God. One essence, three persons. It's short, and I know it's a, it's a very simple analogy. If it helps, great, use it. If it helps you wrap your mind around it, but that is a concept of God being, again, one God, three persons, and they are distinct. It's not God shifting modes or anything like that. That's the Trinity. That's the God we worship. And as we learned in, in Sunday school today, he is the great and mighty king. <laughs> the Lord, there is none like him. There is no other higher authority. There is no one greater than him. There is nothing like him. Nothing can compare. So we, we try as best we can to explain what is beyond our total comprehension. But I, again, I hope that helps. But we have to see that this is in the text, that all three persons, just in this short passage, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. And it's that one triune God whose hands we're in, in all that we're due. So we just don't want to ignore that. So that aside, Paul, in, in our passage here now, turns next to some practical truths uh, that we need to remember when we're living in this falling, groaning world. And it's with confidence and assurance uh, that he says in verse 28, and we know, we know for those that, who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this particular translation isn't bad. It just, it might sound a little bit passive or weak. Other translations make it a bit more clear uh, that God is the one that's purposely directing it. It's not like just some passive thing that happens that all things are working together for good. The, the bottom line behind it all is that God is directing all of these things because he's sovereign over all of these things. Uh, some other translations will say, uh, we, we know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. Uh, another one, God works, God works all together in all things. And as I say, the ESV isn't inferring that these things just happen, so it's kind of a nuance. But I just want to make sure everyone understands it's still God doing all of these things. And uh, that, that said, Paul is declaring that all things, even the things that aren't pleasant or good in themselves, are working together for good for those who are believers. All things, not just the great things. Oh, that, I, I, quick aside here, but I mean, how many of us have even said, oh, wow, that was a God thing, right? As if some things that happen are God things and some things aren't. I mean, it's easy, easy habit to fall into because we're trying to just give God the glory for that thing that we really enjoyed or appreciated or thankful for. But it's all, everything's a God thing. Whether we liked it or not, it's part of his plan. So we have to keep that in mind at all things, that, that all things are God things. Uh, and the thing that, that Paul's saying here, the thing that we know here is that God even uses what can appear to us as horrible circumstances. A couple of examples. Think about the Jews going into captivity, being taken out of the promised land and brought into captivity for centuries. That looked like a horrible thing, especially since you and uh, maybe a couple generations of your family were going to be in that captivity. That looked pretty bad. But God, for his own glory, had a plan to bring them back to the promised land and rebuild the walls again. Uh, amazing. Why? Why? For his glory. We have to remember that all these things are working together for his glory uh, and for the benefit of those who, who love him. So that's one thing that looked really, really bad and that a couple of generations of people wouldn't have been able to see. Here's something that looked even worse. An innocent man being strung up on a cross for our sins. That looked really bad. Here is this person that, that many people re recognize as being the Messiah, spotless, blameless, without blemish, being tortured and murdered. Everybody who viewed that, including the disciples closest with him, ran away seeing this and thinking this was, this was it, this was the end. All things are, are, are lost. It looked bad from our limited finite viewpoint, everything looked really, really bad. But God had planned this in advance. This is what Jesus came to earth to do. And even though it looked bad, it was all part of God working all things together for good. And we have to keep that in mind when we're going through all of the things that we're going to face, again, in this broken, fallen world. That's just how it's going to be until Christ returns. So, Again, it's for his glory and the good of his people, no matter how it appears. None of these situations is out of control. Not, nothing surprises God. There's plenty of things that surprise us that we didn't see coming, but nothing surprises God. 
He does everything for his glory, and he has the perfect plan that works all things together to showcase his glory so people can be even more in awe of him. How do you take, how do you salvage, how do you take the death of an innocent man and turn that into something good? Wow, only God could devise a way to make that happen. And he does. And the consummation of God's plan comes together in the return of Jesus, and we will have the privilege of enjoying and worshiping him forever. Well, this leads us to the next verse, which explains our brotherhood with Christ. And before we get to that part, we do need to consider the first part of verse 30. And this verse is not really confusing, but it is difficult for some to come to terms with. So let's look at it again. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. It's important that we define and understand some terms here, uh, foreknew and predestined. Some people struggle to accept what this, this verse actually says. And honestly, when I first became a believer, I was one of them. I struggled with these things. About, Wait, God foreknew and he predestined? I, I, I was challenged by that, and maybe some of you were too, understanding that. But as the passage that was read this morning in Ephesians talks about, God chooses and predestines people for himself. He goes in and adopts out of that, out of that awful adoption agency where, where people are perishing and adopts some as his own. That's the God that we worship and serve. And that's what he's saying right here in, in the word. Uh, when first introduced to the doctrines of grace, again, I, I wrestled with them for probably almost a year before I, I totally understood. I guess he, he's the one that does it all. I, I don't bring anything to the... Yeah, that's right. I don't bring anything, anything to the equation. It's all him. We're in his hands, beginning and end. The triune God does all of this stuff for us. And we have to re- remember that and understand, be clear on the simple fact that, that God chooses those that he saves. And the word foreknow means to have an intimate relationship. Uh, like Adam knew Eve and bore him a son, it emphasizes a special affection and a choice of someone. In Genesis 18, 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. As we've just finished studying the book of Malachi in our Sunday school class, uh, even though God disciplines his chosen people, he doesn't completely reject them because those are the ones he knows and has that intimate relationship with. Uh, Amos 3.2 illustrates this very, very well. Amos 3.2 says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know anything about all of these other peoples of, of the earth. It's saying that, no, I, I do know about them and, and, and know all about them, but I know you in an intimate and choosing way, and I have chosen to have a relationship with you. That's that intimacy, that special familial love, deeper love than just um, some other random person that we might uh, come across. So he illustrates that, that there's that, that special relationship, and 
It's, he's got this intimate relationship with Israel, so they're the ones that are going to receive his discipline because he cares about them. And as we just heard about in the Sunday school in Malachi, again, he, God tells them at the very beginning of Malachi, first and foremost, I love you. And because I love you and, I, and because I know you, now I'm going to have to discipline you to bring you into conformity with the image that I have said that you were going to be. That's what he does. And just like, so again, that's that closeness to receive his discipline. And just like when someone else's child acts up in the store, you wouldn't normally think of taking them out to the car and spanking them. Well, you might think about it, but you wouldn't do it, right? You wouldn't go out and take some, if someone's kid is acting up in, at, at the store, you wouldn't go grab someone else's child and discipline them out because they're not, you don't know them like you know your own child. You don't have that same intimate relationship. So again, know, knowing, that word know, very important, is about a close relationship with someone. And foreknowing doesn't just mean God could see which people might choose him to accept Christ in the future. No, this is God's pre-electing choice as to whom he would establish his covenantal relationship with for eternity. So God's sovereignty is showing in this choosing or electing people. The second half of this, of this verse goes on to say that for these elect people, he has predestined for them to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And this is, this is the purpose clause of, of our whole passage today, to be conformed into the image of, of, of Christ. What God is doing for all believers, past, present, and future, is molding us into Christ's image. And this work includes all of the pleasant and all of the difficult things as he's having to chop away some of those rough edges on, that we all have. He's just, like I always think of a, of a statue or a sculpture. It might be a jagged piece of rock, but when a sculptor does their work, they mold that into the perfect smooth image that they have in mind to make it into. And many of us still have lots of jagged edges on us, so it kind of hurts when that is being chipped away from, from our person. But God's using that to mold us into the image of Christ. And that work, as I say, includes some things that are, can be very difficult ex, uh, experiences and circumstances because we're living on, the, on this fallen planet. As we learned about two weeks ago, we're called to share in the sufferings of Christ. We're, we were recreated to suffer with him since he suffered for us. And what it says next, that when it says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This word firstborn, so there's a lot of details. I hope you don't mind these slight excursions because there's a lot of words that maybe for some of you you're not familiar with, but we need to make sure we understand what those words mean. And firstborn here doesn't mean just like physical firstborn of a family. It's talking more about the preeminence of. Okay, it's very important to get that. This is the preeminence, firstborn, means preeminence, and there's lots of other scripture passages we could flesh that out with, but it, we have to understand that that means the preeminent or highest rank. Uh, in Jewish culture, for instance, the firstborn was, had the primary, they were primary, had the rightful, they were the rightful heir, and had the preeminence there um, uh, from their father. So God the Father planned out in advance that we would be made like Christ and treated as a brother and co-heir with him. I don't know about you, but to, be, to think about being a co-heir 
with Jesus Christ, that perfect, spotless lamb without blemish or spot, that we're going to be an inheritor with him? We don't deserve that. If we're honest at all, we know we don't deserve that. But we are going to be co-inheritors, heirs with Christ. What a blessing. So God the Father planned out in advance that we'd be made like Christ and treated as a brother and co-heir. And because we're in Christ, we have the blessing and st- that same blessing and standing before the Father. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 puts it like this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. These riches will be bestowed upon us because of our intimate relationship with the loving triune God. The last verse assures us of the outcome of God's providential plan. Verse 30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So those who were marked out by God in eternity past will also be called. And this isn't the same general call uh, like you read about in Romans 1. I mean, everyone is without excuse because God can be seen just from his creation. And only people that are trying to suppress the truth reject that there's a God. Because it is obvious this didn't all just magically happen out of thin air. God had to direct. He had a purpose in his creation. God made it all. So everyone's without excuse. So that's part of a calling, a general calling. But to God's elect, the ones he's chosen, there's an effectual calling. So we actually hear, we see, and we respond to his calling because he's given us hearts that now accept the truth of what he's, what he's shared and what he's calling us to do. So he's called us, and again, there's, unfortunately, there's still many that refuse to acknowledge him, but for the chosen, there's that, that calling that we follow. As we're called by him, we're also justified, which means declare, we're, we're declared righteous, and in the heavenly courtroom, because Jesus' righteousness, again, this is another mind-blowing concept. Jesus' perfect righteousness. Jesus did not sin. Jesus walked this fallen planet and did not commit sin like all of us have. And yet he paid the penalty for all of our sin and his righteousness was imputed to us. How can you get your mind around a transaction like when a guilty sinner gets the righteousness of God bestowed upon them. Our only response could be gratitude and, and, and hopefully humility that God would choose to do that and give us the righteousness of... It's like putting on that cloak, that, that, that beautiful coat. It's just righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, and that's what we're clothed in. What a blessing. Try to get your mind around that. <laughs> if you do nothing but... <laughs> if you get one thing to focus on all week, that's a great one, just thinking... Christ's righteousness put around me. That, that's, it blows my mind. I hope, I hope it, it at least tingles some of your senses to think about being declared righteousness because of what Jesus has done. It's all placed, all of our debt and sin was placed on him. 
and we're set free by God's grace. This can't be overemphasized. Uh, the word justified is used, this is interesting, going through all of Romans as I've been reading it and rereading it and rereading it, the word justified is used over 30 times just in the book of Romans. So that justification <laughs> by that righteousness being put on us, Christ's righteousness, uh, Paul's stressing the importance of this transaction. So with our justification sure in God's hands, we now look forward to our blessed eternal hope. We will be glorified with Christ forever in eternity. And that's what we started talking about last week, some of that glorification. And we're going to see some more of that this, this coming week as well uh, in the next part of the passage here. Um, so we're going to receive our glorified bodies, which will not break down or feel pain as we do now. He's making everything new, as Revelations 21.5 states. And those of us who are maybe uh, more progressed in age and feeling some more of the corruption of these bodies that start to wear out, um, we look forward even more each and every day and each and every year of getting that new glorified body and not having to deal with some of the pain and suffering of getting out of bed in the morning. And uh, what, a, what a joy to think, and, uh, think about what we will have, having bodies in an incorruptible state. It's hard to imagine, uh, but it's just one of the many things we can give thanks and praise to God for in eternity. And to emphasize the certainty of this glorification, it's interesting the, 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 the phrase here, Paul uses the past tense, as if something's already done, he uses the past tense of this word to describe a future event. So in other words, this, this glorification stuff is so sure, he's saying, it's a done deal. I, I guess would be the vernacular that we'd use now. This glorification is a done deal. Your glorification, your new body, is a done deal. It's, I'm going to say it in the past tense, even though it's still something that's to come. That's great news. For those who love God, we have a blessed hope indeed. It's a future event. And just as we studied, um, everything we've studied uh, is certain to come to pass because the eternal, omnipotent, Holy Trinity makes it happen. The Lord instigates, intercedes, works, provides, and ultimately consummates his plan. Uh, the Lord, through Paul, established a solid case for why we can trust in that hope that we don't yet see from verse 25 here. He's predestined our lives for glorification in Christ, just like he predestined Christ's death, burial, and res resurrection and glorification. We have that same promise, and that was predestined just like Christ's work was all predestined. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 describes it this way. God's work is done this way. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the good news. That's our hope and joy. And we are firmly in the loving hands of the triune God. We can now live lives of worship and gratitude for what he has done. It's a sure thing. It's been accomplished. 
because it's been accomplished by him. His hands, not our works. It's all him. I hope as you ponder some of these things, you get the application. What's our response to be to a God who has done this? Certainly, gratitude and worship should be the application of understanding what this even short passage tells us about the sure, complete work of Christ. So as we really apprehend this, do we walk? Do we speak? Do we think? We heard about that again in, in, in Sunday school today about the words that were used. Do we talk as if we're people who've been saved? Do we show gratitude and awe and respect and fear? Or do we show that we don't trust God? The application of this is, is a real heart level thing. And I hope that as you read this passage again, you're reminded of how sure your hope is and how grateful we should be and ready to worship God for what he's done. As we transition now into our time of communion, uh, this is the, the hope that we celebrate and publicly proclaim together. We identify with the work and the suffering of Jesus when we take the bread and the cup. Uh, we're communing with him. We're also reminded that we're all part of one body, which is his church. And if you're disciples of Christ, that's why we take it together. If, if you are a disciple of Christ, even if you're visiting, you're welcome to join us in th this communion time. We've got the elements at the back table. And uh, again, what we do is we, we pick up the elements, we come back to our seats and hold them for a time of reflection and prayer, and uh, then we take them together, signifying that we're unified as a body. So uh, you're welcome to, again, if you're a believer, please uh, join us as, as we do that in a couple of moments here. And uh, the elements um, represent Christ's body and blood. And because of that, if you're visiting and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we just ask that you let those, those elements pass and that you just maybe take some time to consider part of what was been, has been shared today. We, we don't ask you to partake of those elements if you're not having Jesus be the one that you relate to as your Lord and Savior. We're glad you're here, though. And we hope this gives you something to think about. And if you'd like to discuss more about that, uh, please come see myself or any of the other elders or deacons after church today. And we'd love to tell you more about what this faith and hope is uh, that we are so certain of as Christians. Please come see us. We'd love to tell you more about it. But uh, again, the, the table is for believers. And uh, we'll uh, make that available to everyone here in just a moment. So uh, you may um, get up and, and get the elements and bring them back to your chairs. <laughs>